Okay. Slip, bitch, and fuss and cussing. Past tens, a top ten time machine. Welcome back to Past Tens, a top ten time machine. It's the podcast where we go back in time to a certain date in the past and we look at the Billboard top ten hits. We analyze, we criticize, we talk about what has held up, maybe what hasn't. My name is Dave, but more importantly, he's been beat up and battered around. He's been sent up. He's been shot down. But you know what? He's the best thing that I've ever found. He's the chartmeister, Michael Milt Wolf. Yeah, oh yeah. Woo. I get knocked down, but I get up again, Dave. Do you drink a whiskey drink, a rum drink, a lager drink, and a yeah, cider drink? They don't mention Chumbawamba does not mention gin, which is not cool. Well, there are only so many they could mention, I yeah, guess. But come on, gin's one syllable. Jam it in there for crying out loud. <laughs> That's they what don't she ask said. that much, right? <laughs> Dave, man, I um, I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, yeah. Um, we got slightly delayed on our recording schedule, but you know they so don't need to know gonna, that. No, but I'm, I'm sharing people's. You <laughs> okay, know, you can share. I want people share. to be in the machine with us. Okay. So, yep. Um, you, when you listen to this, it's going to be almost immediately after we've recorded it. Not quite, but you know, close to the close to the line. Meaning, which means it's fresh. Milt, Milt's given me about eighteen hours to edit this after, uh, including sleep time. So. Thanks a lot. No, no sleep till Brooklyn, my friend. So the the top vocalists, top singers of all time episode got some buzz. Um, first of all, I'll point out that machiner Rob Kramer, who is a buddy of mine, he, he asked, he posed the question, best voices or best singers? To which I said, yeah. what? Come on. Uh, <laughs> I think what he meant to say maybe is like, no, if he had asked best performer, <laughs> he didn't say versus that. Though. Best singer, but he didn't. I yeah, think that's what difference? he meant. I think that's what he meant. But he's splitting hairs. Let me let me tick off a few machiners who chimed in when asked the question: Who's their favorite of all time, or the best vocalist of all time? Machiner Todd Robeson, our boy Todd, he says, uh, "I'm going to go with Whitney." Uh, machiner Ed Nathanson made the list. She did. Yeah, she made it. Yeah, she made it. Thanks to me. No, thanks to yeah. you. Oops. Machiner uh, Ed Nathanson, who's a Renaissance man and has appeared on this uh, podcast before, and who happy belated birthday, yeah, Ed! Happy birthday, Ed man! He uh, he was critical of the, of our episode. He said, "I love you, but this has some glaring omissions." Adele and Christina over Robert Plant? Question mark. Okay, that was my fault, I guess. I had Robert Plant. I made it. Yep, we both had Adele higher though. Ranked her higher. Yep. That's and then true. he he noticed notable omissions: Steve Perry, Daryl Hall, Prince. Steven Tyler, Stevie Nicks, Chris Cornell, just to name a few. And uh, you know what? Those A lot of those appeared kind of lower on the list. They just didn't make the top 20. But good points all. They were, they were on our lists, but very difficult to rank these. The, you know, too many to choose from. I agree. And by the way, Martin Vory from Michigan City, Indiana. Huge Sinatra fan Martin is, but actually would have rated Dean Martin oh. a little higher. Which, well, Dino. Dino had Dino had he could something, sing. but he didn't have a better voice than Sinatra. Than Frank, did he? Eh, probably not. I don't know. He was I mean, drunk. No, actually, the drinking I think was no. An he act, wasn't it. He drank milk apparently. Yeah, it was all an act. Yeah, uh, just a couple more. Machine Machine Jeff Waldman, aka Waldo. He says, asking about the best vocalist. He says, I'm assuming you mean second best after Steve Perry. I'll go. With, ah, I'll go. You mocked my Steve Perry. <laughs> I know. I, I, there's a lot of love for Steve Perry here. He says I'll go with Brad Delp. Interesting choice. 
Ooh, Brad Delp. Yeah, we didn't go in him. I didn't have him ranked. No. I mean, distinct voice, cool voice, but Chuck Rodman said Tommy Shaw. I think he's serious. I'm not sure. I mean, no, Tommy Shaw. That, no. You think that no, was a joke? He, I don't know. He's our listener. No, I don't think it's a joke. And Rob Kramer, who uh, split the hairs before, he also said Steve Perry and Allison Krauss. Okay, so Ooh, nice. You know, I love Allison Krauss. I'm seeing her with the aforementioned Robert Plant. You know, they've recorded oh, a couple yeah. of albums together. And I'm seeing them live in a month's time. I had. Aren't you jealous? I'm a little jealous, but you're going to be jealous because I had a guy on my podcast today, my my other podcast, the Boston podcast, and he was an event planner. And uh, he said, uh, who's your favorite guy? And I said, uh, I guess forced to choose Billy Joel. And he said, well, I'm going to get you tickets for Billy Joel and Stevie Nicks in September. Come on. Yes. So I said, no, you don't have to do that. Uh, yeah, I'll take them. So. I don't get free things. Well, I really Although do I should point this out, I did get a free thing from a listener this week. Oh, uh, yeah? Loyal listener, uh, Laura Kaufman. Mm-hmm. Um, all of a sudden, why I are you saying? My why are you saying Kaufman? Isn't it Kaufman? That's oh, probably. I don't know. I should ask. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, Let us know, Laura. You're good friend. I open up my mailbox and there's a T-shirt in it, and it is a rapper T-shirt. It's a hip hop T-shirt with a note from our listener Laura saying. Someone left this in our mailbox, so I'm leaving it in yours. What? Yeah, yeah. And I think I'm supposed to pass it on. Well, what? You, why do you think you need to give it to somebody else? I, well, she suggested it. Maybe it just has to be this thing that just literally just drops in every mailbox for past no, 10 No, she's saying that you're, she's saying you're the hip-hop guy, so it's better. Well, that was her intention, but yeah. she also said maybe you should pass it along. But what's the? So, t- what does it say on the T-shirt? Are there hip-hop? I, I should have brought it up here. It's an artist I didn't recognize and there's some words on it that i could barely read and uh mm, cool yeah. story bro yeah <laughs> exactly right <laughs> it might be topol <laughs> what topol nodding hill remember that he's like no it might have been ringo star topol been topol Top- they don't look alike do topol died today oh he did you're right <laughs> that's why i thought you were bringing him up no, I was bringing it up because of that Notting Hill thing. It's not okay. a great story, is it? It's not a great anecdote. I didn't see Notting Hill like like most red-blooded males, so I don't know what you're talking about. It's but... a fine film, okay. Dave. Our... It's nope. a fine oh, well, romantic fine. comedy. Okay. All right, but Dave, enough nonsense here. Yeah. We are back in the machine uh, for a, quote, regular episode, and we had so much fun a while back. Instead of doing the top 10 songs of a given week, mm. we decided to do it again and maybe visit the top albums. Yeah. Chart. Love right? it. Right? The albums it. give us a chance to celebrate a collection of music, a, a unified piece of art that sometimes differs with the pop charts uh, in the song list. So right. we thought we'd have some fun and roll the dice and see what happens. You might say it's a different animal. That's a teaser. Ooh, yeah. teaser. Um, but well played. I'm excited. Should we find out what year we're going to, Milt? You ready? Let's do it, Dave. Let's get in the machine. Take our readers on a journey. Here we go. Milt the Time Machine has taken us back to visit the albums for the week, ending March 4th, 1989. The uh, Fine Young Cannibals album, whatever it was called, will not make the list, but but they're setting the tone for 1989. You don't watch Last of Us by any chance, do you? Of course I do. Did you see the last episode? I did. Interesting song choice. What? Here. <laughs> oh, the Fine Young Cannibals are featured. 
now the actual third word in fine young cannibals but i don't want to give anything away oh Oh. now i know what you're going yes there we go yes no spoilers well dave here we are at the beginning of 1989 why don't i set the uh the scene here with uh, a little nod to what happened that week in history Mm -hmm. so looking back in 1989 uh as part of ayatollah khomeini's fatwa declaration Iran placed a $3 million bounty on the head of author Salman Rushdie for yeah. publishing the Satanic Verses. You remember that, of course. Yeah, I also remember that for some reason, Larry David has been obsessed with that ever since it happened. Because not only was it featured, did you see the storyline in Curb Your Enthusiasm, how he wrote a yes, play? I did. But that, that it came up even earlier in Seinfeld, where... Kramer insists that he sees Salman Rushdie, who's supposed to be in exile, sitting next to him in the sauna. <laughs> and so, uh, anyway. He literally had to live under police protection for nine years. And I think that must have been during the Seinfeld years. So that was sort of the point, right? Right. right. Actually, and- I, just one quick anecdote. Do you remember Koch's Deli? Of course. Yeah, you and I used to Koch's Deli yep. was a deli uh, right off the campus of the University of Pennsylvania. And you used to have to wait in this incredibly long line because the sandwiches were just absolutely amazing. So one of the Koch brothers would, like, tell jokes while you were waiting online and ask you to tell him a joke. Yeah. And I told him a joke while online that had him busting a gut, and he gave me a free sandwich. And it was a Salman Rushdie joke. Really? So what's the I joke? I still remember it since today. What is it? Come today, on. Terry said, did you hear? This was right in the middle of the <laughs> Satanic Verses thing. Right. I said, did you hear Salmon Rushdie wrote a new book? And yep. he said, oh, no. What is it? It's called Buddha That Fat Fuck. <laughs> that was, you didn't invent that joke, right? No, I yeah, didn't write no, it, but... but he had never heard it. And he, he usually didn't laugh. I and I got a free sandwich out of it. Do you remember what they also used to do to keep you entertained in line? Well, they give you like little slices. Yeah, they of would. They would little they'd pass little samples around. It was so cool. good. Yeah, so good. Also, this week in uh, 1989, funeral of the Japanese Emperor Hirohito was held, including uh, U.S. President George H.W. Bush. He went. Hirohito was a complicated figure because many say his decision not to surrender in World War II led to our decision to bomb Hiroshima and Nagasaki. You, uh, you going? You really kind of go on NPR on me tonight. I really am, aren't I? Well, <laughs> let me turn Good it. Good to then. know. Good in, to know. Because okay. in Boston-related news this week, Dave, mm. a court in California threw out Margot Adams' breach of contract suit yeah. against Wade Boggs. Yeah, palimony, wasn't it? Wasn't that it? So that that was a weird moment because Wade Boggs was our was kind of the only thing we had to root for in Boston at the time because. The team wasn't very good, but Wade Boggs was this uh, supernatural hitter. And the the um, story of his affair, longtime affair with Margot Adams, came out publicly because she sued him. And uh, he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated for it. It was we- a weird moment, it was, wasn't he, it? So he was married with kids. Right. She was having an affair with him, as she claimed, but claimed that he was hiring her and then when she found out he was have, sleeping with additional women. Oh, is that what happened? She sued him. Right. So Very convoluted. Yeah, he was the, and, and then, the, but then like, over the whole, the umbrella over the whole thing is apparently most baseball players would sleep with other women on the road. It's just Wade Boggs slept with the wrong woman. <laughs> Whoops. But, uh, and apparently paid her money. I don't know. Very, yeah. very, it's a mess. Yeah. It's a mess. I wonder, did he get divorced? 
I, I think know. he would have. Probably. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, also this week, Kevin Klein married Phoebe Cates on March 4th, 1989. Probably an age gap there at the time. An age gap. And, you know, Phoebe yep. Cates, you know, was a formative figure of our youth. You know, the moment in Fast Times. <laughs> yes. We were all a little depressed when she married Kevin Klein because we all held out just a little sliver of hope. <laughs> that Phoebe might wait for us. Just a small sliver. You think so? Is that... She didn't wait. She didn't wait. Yeah. Let's do some birthdays this week uh, in 1989. Let's wish a happy birthday to actor Daniel Kaluuya from oh. Get Out and of Nope course. and Black Panther and such. Um, also, happy birthday to Jake Lloyd. You know who Jake Lloyd is? I don't. He was the kid in the Phantom Menace movies. Okay. He played yeah. a young... Anakin Skywalker, I think. Yeah, and like he's that. like in the race there in the in his right, right. in his X Wing thing there or whatever. By the way, he's had a really sad story. He started in those movies, like made him kind of a star, sort of disappeared. He now has paranoid schizophrenia, yeah. has been arrested multiple times, like a mess, a total mess. Jeez, you wouldn't think a child star would go south like that it's never happened it's, it's a very healthy thing to become famous when you're eight years old by the way i think i think uh, you know artificial if artificial intelligence always like facebook is always giving you ads of things that you think about you mentioned phoebe case and this song just started playing <laughs> i'm having a pavlovian response and i don't <laughs> want to talk about it <laughs> Okay, Dave, that's setting the tone for okay. this week in history. I forgot to look up the movies and TV shows. That's so we're just right. going to blow by that. But I am going to tell you this. As we said, we're going to be counting down the 10 albums that topped the Billboard 200 this week. But what's fascinating, Dave, is of those 10 albums, eight of them hit number one. Wow. And I'm going to ask you after each record to tell me whether you think it's one of those eight. Eh, okay. <laughs> Pressure's on, my friend. All right. I'm turning the play date on you. Uh, well, no, but there might be a play date later that you okay. will enjoy, by the way. We got a great good. one tonight. Yep. Good, good, good. All right, Dave, let's get in the machine. Let's do the countdown. The album's countdown. The album's countdown. From March of 1989. Let's go. Number 10. Not too often you hear a song fade in. Yeah. That's what's happening. Very primal. Yeah. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> a very long intro. Yeah. Yeah, I might, maybe talking? I shouldn't have yeah, chosen this one. We had okay. choices. It's okay. But does it become familiar now? Well, I know what it is. It sounds this, like of course, sounds like Jersey you Rock. Heard the, you haven't heard the vocal stylings of Mr. John Bon Jovi because this is the album New Jersey by the band Bon Jovi. Mm. Is he singing now yet? No, I'll tell you one. <laughs> My God. This was the second of 13 top 10 albums for Bon Jovi. Mm. And it takes him forever to sing. I don't know how this song was a hit, but it was. <laughs> They had five top ten hits on this album, including this song, Lay Your Hands On Me. How about now? No, not yet. <laughs> now he's talking, at least. What a terrible choice to start this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> he's still not singing. All right, I've had enough. But Dave, why don't you answer the question? Do you think 
this is one of the albums on this show. I'm going to say yes. One. I'm going to say yes. Yes, it was. All it right. was the second of six of their albums to peak at number one. This is technically their fourth album. Was he singing now? Admit, I kind of like this song. <laughs> I liked it a lot at the time. I haven't heard it. In, you don't hear it a lot, do you? No, yeah, no, you not don't. this one. But I do. No. I, I like it. I still like it. I kind of do. Yep. So this was the album. New Jersey was the album that came out after Slippery When Wet. Slippery right. When Wet was the album that broke them, and it broke them in a huge way. It was from 1986, and it made them superstars. They were under. They first of all, they toured like crazy. They were under a ton of pressure to do a follow up that was just as good they wrote a whole bunch of songs but they weren't sure they found the hits and then all of a sudden they wrote the song bad medicine which i probably could have started here but we well, have okay. covered that yeah, okay. yeah they wrote that and then all this which bad medicine by the way sounds exactly like you give love a bad name it's almost like the same song but yep. they needed that they said to then spark their hit make they were interested in making hits that's right. all they cared about right. And that suddenly made them feel, okay, everything's okay. And then all of a sudden, the hits started just flowing out of their pens and their guitars and their microphones. Next thing you know, like I said, five top ten hits on this album. Lay Your Hands on Me, Bad Medicine, Born to Me by Baby, Living in Sin, and I'll Be There for You. All top ten hits. Mm. Um, by the way, they, um, they called it New Jersey, which I get it. They originally wanted to call this album Sons of Beaches. Oh God! Thank God they didn't, right? Yeah, that would have been. <laughs> I mean, come on. I think New Jersey was probably the way to go, Sons and maybe it the, helped yeah. establish them as like, you know, they are still revered in Jersey, almost you know Springsteen esque when it comes down to it. Yeah, well, it's like John Bon Jovi still kind of walks among us as a young man. Like he 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 doesn't look like he's aged that much. I mean, he looks different, but he's uh, and he's kind of this kind of cool ambassador of rock and roll, right? I mean, you see him at various events and things. He, for a while, was an owner of the Philadelphia Soul, which is a, a an arena football league, I want to say. Um, and uh, he's likable, right? Who doesn't like John Bon Jovi? Yeah, look, I, I read it. I was a publisher of a magazine at one point that had a, a cover interview with him. And he was, like, expressing his anxieties. And, you know, he's married to his high school sweetheart, and that comes wow. with challenges. And <laughs> he was kind of like a regular guy, like, dealing with regular shit, yep. except he's John Bon Jovi. Right. Right. And uh, I will give them credit. I mean, talking about this album, you know, it would have been very easy for them, like other successful bands, to have that one big hit album and then kind of slowly fade away. Right. This maintained... Their heat, it wasn't as big as Slippery One Wet, but it was pretty damn close. Right. And that set them up. Bon Jovi, you know, had longevity. I, I mean, they faded compared to that height. Well, they were still uh, you know, an some, important hair yeah. metal band. Well, you look up and down the list of bands we're going to talk about today, there aren't really any of them that are still like, uh, that are still like recording music that is relevant. But. Absolutely, Bon Jovi has endured uh, above the the fray of hair metal bands like Poison and Motley Crue and Cinderella, and you could they go felt down the a list. little more serious, a little right? bit, or or just um, well, and they would do things like um, 
I got him. I love the song. Who says you can't go home? Is that what it's called? He yeah, did, that he was almost with, like a country song. Right? right. He did it with Jennifer Nettles, and and I freaking love that song. And so he he tried a couple different things. What's your fa- What's your go to uh, Bon Jovi karaoke song? And you're not. Well, it and, has to be. Well, I mean, you obviously. Living on a prayer is the one that you know gets the crowd riled up. But if you've got chops, you gotta you gotta hit wanted dead or alive. That's pretty good. My favorite you have a different one. Yeah, my favorite is it's my life. Because mm. I can't uh, um, wanted dead or alive. You gotta. It's hard to engage the crowd in a in a ballad. I think. So yeah, that's uh, true. and uh, it's and my. It's also hard to hit the high notes in living on a prayer. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Plus, everybody does living on a prayer. So I was I was at a karaoke bar once in New Orleans, and I picked "It's My Life" and I enjoyed doing it. But the reason why I picked "It's My Life" is because there had already been three other Bon Jovi songs performed that <laughs> that night. So I was just going down the list. Yeah, good call. Yeah. All right. Look, that's the beginning of a a pretty solid top ten list right there. We hit our first of eight number one albums. Let's see if that continues. You had Back another the- clip here for Bon Jovi, Milt. Oh, you know what? I forgot about that. Yeah. I thought it was sort of interesting that on this album, which is obviously five top ten hits, they knew how to make a pop record, but they decided to have some fun and recorded a song in a mono old record style that they attributed to Captain Kid and King of Swing, mm. which were their nicknames for each other at the time. It's called Ride Cowboy Ride. Just play a clip quick. Quick clip. It's kind of clever, but really, it, it just sounds like sounds like Bon Jovi playing acoustic with a lot of staticky uh, sound effects <laughs> added. You know, but they were trying to make it a little more interesting. Like Poison yeah. would not have done that. Probably not. Probably not. Maybe Bon Jovi shouldn't have done that. <laughs> no, I enjoy it. I like it. It's fine. All right, Dave, back in the machine. Move this forward. Okay. Number nine. Oh, this is not John Bon Jovi. No. <laughs> kind of a far cry from Jersey Rock. Anita Baker could sing, though. Well, like I said, this is Anita Baker. Um, the album, the song we're hearing is called Giving You the Best That I Got, as is the album title here. Mm. Um it's the first of four top ten albums. It's interesting. Her biggest hit came before this called Rapture, but the album never hit the top ten. This did. So, Dave, is this one of our eight records that hit number one? Uh, I'm going to say, yeah. You are correct. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it. We had to actually re-record this quick Stop. segment. Stop. Why are you Dave telling got it wrong and he's, he's covering up his error. Fair enough. I'll give it to you. Um, <laughs> We're going to do right, it again. So I'm going to do it right. I think we talked last week or a couple of weeks ago about this music genre called Quiet Storm, right. which was this big, in the 80s, late 80s, maybe even the early 90s, very soft R&B became this kind of Quiet Storm radio format. Anita Baker was one of the literally like foremothers, if you will, of that movement. She was 
key in the Quiet Storm movement, and you can hear it in this song. We were not listening to Quiet Storm. No. In 1989. Not so Not much. at all. No. So this song, I don't even know if you recognize it. Give her another second. Okay. I do remember that part. Yeah. Right, yeah, we missed the chorus, yeah. but you. But it was a top ten hit, so it peaked at number three. So we may be covering that song. Yeah. She had another top twenty hit. Maybe you could play that just for a second. It's mm-hmm. called "Just Because." See if you recognize this one. Okay. Like I, I recognize that opening, those opening notes. I mean, it sounds familiar, but it kind of sounds like a lot of other songs to me. I'm just like, like you said, this wasn't our jam. She could sing, though. There was something about her voice that transcended the ordinary. I don't know why. Yeah. All right, go, Anita. I yeah, have... she, and by the way, you think Anita's done, right? Yeah. She sung the national anthem at this year's NFC Championship game. Oh, my God. I didn't realize that. The Eagles 49ers game. Anita brought, And I was trying to figure out why. Is she from She's Philadelphia? She's from Philadelphia She's or not. San Francisco. Oh, okay. They just were like, who's available? And I guess Anita Baker was available. Strange. But they don't usually give that. I mean, obviously, she's got a name and she's important. She's got a legacy. So she got the. Um... Oh, I forgot to mention this. Did you watch? Did you watch the Chris Rock Netflix yes. special yet? I was going to ask you about it. That's funny. What? OK, first of all, he told an Anita Baker joke. I don't know if you caught it. Oh, I guess I didn't. It was towards the end, he was talking about dating. You know, he's he's a single man, divorced, right, whatever. And he's right. talking about dating. And he's like, I'm not dating women my own age. I'm dating women 10 to 15 years older. And he goes, I'm not dating Anita Baker. Yeah, he did say that. You're I'm, right. Yeah. I'm trying to date Duja Cat. Yeah, right, 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 right. And that's interesting. And um, why he chose Anita Baker, of all people. I know. He's got to be older than Chris Rock, like a lot older. Well, that was his point. He was trying to pick somebody older, but but... I thought that part of the show was a little, uh, it didn't land well for me because why, since when did Chris Rock become the biggest stud in the world? Like he's just, he's, he's he was basically bragging about how he's, he's 58 years old. Like right, I right, don't mind right. that he's dating. Sure. And yes, he's, he's still, he's in good shape and I'm sure he did, but he's not like Eddie Murphy stud boy. Is he like, well, he poked fun of himself during the Will Smith thing where he was like, I'm not taking my shirt off in a movie. Well, you know, right. Like, he did say that. the living crap yeah. out of me. And then kind of funny. And then but just. That's, that, that's part of the thing. That he has that bravado thing. Oh, yeah. Bravado is one thing, but I never th- thought of him as a sex symbol, but which is fine. He's a great comedian. But what did you think about his take on Will Smith since since you you slapped me in a satire we did earlier I on this sure podcast? did yeah. badly, and you deserved it for your <laughs> Lionel slights. Never again. Uh, I thought it was it was good i mean he deserves to have a moment of retribution right and if you're a comedian where else would you rather do it than in your set yeah i, I had mean, i had mixed feelings but he just he didn't let will smith off the hook at all like well, was was, was it true. necessary to bring up the fact like yo man you're the guy with the wife who slept with your son's friend and then told everybody about it why are you hitting me like it seemed almost. Uh, I, I think it's fair to say that Chris Rock has not forgiven. Will not at Smith. all. Correct. And yep. because Chris Rock cannot beat Will Smith up, nor will he slap him back, his way of getting revenge is to bust his ass in his comedy special. Right.
Well, uh, to put a button on Anita Baker, according to Ranker.com, she is the sixth most famous Anita ever. Can you name any of the Anitas that rank higher? Anita Bryant? No. Anita... Not just music. Anita Applebaum? <laughs> Anita, Anita Lover Who Won't Drive Me Crazy? Yes. The exactly. only one I recognized was the number one, which is Anita Hill. Oh, that's, um, a, that's a big one. Yep. Um, number two, American actress Anita Barone. Never nope. heard of her. Uh, she was on the Jeff, Jeff Foxworthy show. Anita, Anita Woldarczyk, who is a, a Polish hammer thrower. I mean, you got to be kidding me. Anita, Wait, Anita Baker is lower than yes. a, a hammer thrower? Also lower than Anita Caprioli, who's an Italian actress. And Anita Punt, who's a New Zealander field hockey player. Oh, this is this is literally a slight. It's kind of weird. We like, got We should email Anita Baker. She's got to get on this. I know. She sang the national anthem at the championship game. Yeah, for crying out but loud. not the Super Bowl. Yeah, that's true. Number yeah. eight, Anita Pointer of the Pointer Sisters. Oh, that's a good one too. I know. I'm upset now. <laughs> Ranker. Uh, all right, I think we've given Anita some 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 love. I think. I mean, again, not not a part of our 1989 experience, mm. and a little too soft for our our love. But there's there's pipes there. That's all yep. I'm saying. Yep. Ranker. Okay. Uh, Ranker. I hardly know her. All right, you ready? Keep it going. Number eight. You know, when I, when I can pick a song that's not a top ten hit that people would know, I'm picking it. And believe it or not, this song was not a top 10 hit and we'll talk about why i love um, this song you i do too i think it's one pop maybe the best song in the album but yep. this song is animal which you hinted at before i did part of def leppard's album hysteria right which is number eight here uh the second of eight top 10 albums for def leppard dave did it hit number one uh i wish it did but yes it did it did hit number all one, right dave. The first of two of their albums to hit number one. Is this that chorus? I think it is. Yeah, this is a... By the way, Hysteria is Def Leppard's biggest selling album. Apparently, 25 million copies sold worldwide. They had four top ten singles. Animal was not one of them. The wow. four top ten singles were Pour Some Sugar On Me, Hysteria, Armageddon It, and Love Bites. Mm. And they had two more songs that hit the top 20, this song, Animal, and Rocket. Mm. The reason Animal wasn't a top ten hit is very clear. This was the first single released off the album. I remember. Now, Def Leppard was big. This is a top 20 hit. But Def Leppard had not catapulted into this absolute superstar possibly biggest act in the world status yet yeah they were kind of just a metal band and right yeah with pop undertones to it but it was the song pour some sugar on me that for some reason transcended the just hey we're a hit band it became massive peaked at number two which then led to love bites peaking at number one 
And then the song Woman even came out later, which didn't crack the top 40, but did crack the top 100. So seven songs off mm. of this album charted. I That's like that song as well, yeah. A ton, right? But look, you know the story with Def Leppard. They, they formed in the mid-70s. They released their first album way back in 1980. Pyromania was their biggest first success with that album. Mm. To the point that in 1984, a Gallup poll showed that Americans chose Def Leppard as their favorite rock band. So it's kind of interesting what I know in fact <laughs> which now that's their favorite rock band, not necessarily band. Yeah, period. but there are a lot of rock no, bands. <laughs> I know. Um they actually started recording the follow-up using this is crazy to think about. They originally were working with the producer Jim Steinman from Meatloaf fan. Mm. And it was not working. Um it didn't go well. Mutt Lang had left whatever. And then in 1984, drummer Rick Allen got into that car accident in which he lost his left arm. In fact, play this clip from when MTV uh, announced the accident. Doctors in Sheffield, England yesterday had to amputate the left arm of Def Leppard's drummer Richard Allen. Allen's arm had been severed in an automobile accident on Monday, but was reattached following an operation. He was to have undergone skin grafts yesterday, but when inspecting the arm, doctors found an infection had developed at the point where Alan's arm was reattached to his body, and Alan, who is 21 years old, is resting today in stable condition. If any fans I, I, wish to First of all, well, even just hearing that clip, yep. it makes me remember that, you know, pre-internet days, that's probably where most of us heard about that accident. Yeah. It was MTV. I mean, it's the most, they weren't, right? Yeah. It's the most serious J.J. Jackson has, has ever sounded about anything, <laughs> you know? I I read um, it, he may have been racing when he did it. Did you know that? Try, yeah, trying to pass was... another car at a high speed is what Wikipedia said. But somewhere else I read it was, it might have been a drag race. You it know? was definitely his fault. Yeah. He right. was driving. I think his girlfriend was in the car with Correct. him at the time. Yeah. Not a good thing. Not a good thing. Yeah. But so my, he loses my, his arm. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead because you're telling the story. Go. So, look, you think the band is over, but right. apparently, instantly, he made it clear he didn't want to stop drumming. He even played, get this, he played a show soon afterwards using the bone of his amputated arm mm. to drum with. I mean, yeah. If that isn't heavy metal, I don't know what is, right? But seriously, I don't <laughs> yeah. think it works so well. So we started working with this electronic drum manufacturer to design, and we talked about this, the drum kit that allowed him to simulate some of the drum sounds that he would use from his left arm using his feet. So yeah. using both feet in a much more aggressive way and to make the sounds ultimately that you would normally play with your hands. He then goes to the band and says, guys, I think I got something here. He brings them into a studio, plays the song When the Levee Breaks by right. Led Zeppelin for the band. Right. Their jaws drop. They yep. go, holy shit, I think this is going to work. And next thing you know, Mutt Lang, the producer who had worked with them on Pyromania, comes back to the band. They record this album. They're as big and not obviously even bigger than they've ever yeah, been Yeah, they... They got bigger. It it is, if anything, it it the story should be told even louder than it's been told. One of the great rock bands in America, but not necessarily like top tier rock bands, has their drummer lose his arm, which is a pretty important appendage for a drummer. For a drummer. For a drummer. He says, I'm still gonna play. They do the contraption. And they get better. They get better after he lost it. I mean, it is incredible. And my theory has always been, 
I'm no like musicologist, but that their sound was influenced by the fact that he couldn't do the, you know, like the Tommy Lee shit. Like this, this, if you listen to the drums. It's something, it's something. There's something more uh, melodic about the sound because he's it's not. It's like a driving beat, right? But he doesn't try. Look, he could show yeah. off in concert too, right? And you and I have seen that. I, I, I know. I saw them live um, eh, about eight years ago or something like that. And he did. He did a drum solo that was freaking phenomenal. It, he, it, it's, it's an amazing story. It's amazing. It's an incredible story. Like, yeah. And I am sure. The band was inspired by it and fueled yeah. the continuation of their success. They easily could have just disbanded after something like that. I mean, and if you did. lost your arm and you were a drummer, I, I mean, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, okay, it's it's you want to be brave, but <laughs> I mean, I think I would go like, well, you know what? I'll be the band manager or something. I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna. St- I mean, I mean, what can I do? I only have one freaking arm. But he right, said no. Right. It's incredible. I'll book the shows. No, just amazing. Yeah, right. Just amazing. By the way, in the liner notes to the record, so they apologized to the fans for making them wait so long because of, A, the problems with the producer, and then obviously they had to wait for the drummer to get better. So yep. there was a long gap between albums. So they said, in the liner notes, we are never going to let this much time elapse between records. Yeah. Then their guitarist, Steve Clark, died after Mm. this album, and the next album took five years (laughs) to release, so even longer. They've had a string of some bad luck. Yeah, for sure. But they made it. Look, and they made it through Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2019. They even released an album last year, and I thought it'd be interesting to just play that and let you have a listen to it. This is their single they released off of it called Kick. not bad. It actually is pretty good. It's weird that I haven't heard it. Like, I'm almost disappointed in myself. It sounds like vintage Def Leppard. It's Def Leppard, right? And that driving beat, as you were talking about, is clearly, it's him. Yeah. Yeah. It's not bad. That's the problem with a lot of these acts. You know, the, the classic rock bands now release albums almost into obscurity. Like they just they put it out there. Their diehard fans find it, mm-hmm. but they're not getting airplay. They're not getting featured on top playlists and things like that. So right. too bad. There's some good music out there. Yeah, I do remember Hysteria when it came out. It was like in inev- you couldn't avoid it. The songs were played all over the damn radio. You know, you heard it in the dorms and stuff. They weren't cool per se. You know, they were not. This was pre grunge and stuff like that. But hair metal was popular, but I don't know if people respected it. They well, eventually got the respect they deserved. I remember in, in being in you and I in the fraternity house, and I remember you saying, they say this might be the best heavy metal album ever, and we loved it. I you mean, did. I mean, so yeah, they weren't like, it wasn't like necessarily cool to love Def Leppard, but I don't The tie, by the way, I know the poll you're talking about. It was Hysteria. It was tied with Anita Baker, <laughs> but they gave Hysteria the number one spot, which oh, I good. thought was the right call. Yeah. Well, oh, oh, by right. the way, I had one other question. This yeah. is a little weird, but um, is Rick Allen the um, the most accomplished amputee in history? Well, amputee is the key word, right? Because Jim Abbott threw a no hitter. Right. But he wasn't an amputee. I actually was curious enough to to ponder a few lists on this, and Jim Abbott is for some reason listed on these things. 
He's not an amputee. He didn't have anything, anything amputated. Nevertheless, right. um, the the only other people that came up that of note were like Ronnie Lott, who uh, he only lost a finger. I mean, I, I mean, I shouldn't say only a finger. That must have been traumatic. And Jerry Garcia is the only musician on the list that I could find. He lost a finger in a carpentry accident or something. I didn't know that. Hmm. Um, what about Lieutenant Dan? <laughs> And then there's like Pistorius, who you have to take him off the list. The, the Blade Runner, you remember Oscar yeah, Pistorius? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, nah, we're not going to celebrate him. So, I mean, again, Rick Allen. Go Rick Allen. Unbelievable. A god of rock. No doubt about it. Right. All right, Dave, let's get back in the machine. Keep this album countdown flowing. Number seven. Got a groove. <laughs> Who's the rapper on this? MC. Oh, shoot. MC Scat Cat. Scat Cat, right. Alright, we, we talked a little bit before, like throwing Bon Jovi a little bit of credit because they had longevity beyond where people thought they were going to be, right? Right. I don't think Paula Abdul had that. No. Not as, not as a musician, let's right. face it. But this is where her peak was, and it was right at the very beginning. This song, Opposites Attract, was one of the uh, five top ten hits off of her debut album called Forever Your Girl, which That's is right. the first of two top ten albums for her. Dave, did this hit number one? Um, I'm gonna say yes. It did, Dave. All well right. <laughs> the only really, this is the funny thing is Paul Abdul was chosen to be like a singing coach for American Idol. She only released three albums, mm. but wow. the first two both hit number one. I wonder why she stopped. Maybe because she's not that good. <laughs> well, give her credit; she reinvented herself on American Idol, and it's oh, just a man. brilliant career move. Oh, it's genius. Yep. Absolutely. But remember, she was not a singer originally. You know her story. She was a dancer for the L.A. Lakers and right. became Laker girl. a choreographer. Her first gig, actually, it's very funny because from last week's episode, you discussed the Jackson single torture. Yeah. Her very first gig was to do the dances for the video for that song. Really? Torture. Yeah. Interesting. Isn't that funny? Yeah. She also worked with Janet Jackson a ton. Maybe we mentioned this on the pod before. She choreographed the piano scene in the movie Big, the F.A. Yeah, I remember. We, we mentioned piano. that before. Very interesting. Okay, we did. Yeah. Well, she funny. also had a, a brief acting turn as a very young woman in a memorable short film called Junior High School. You remember that, Milt? Yes. I for <laughs> totally forgot about <laughs> yes. that. This was a film. That you, well, me and Milt are the only two people on the planet that know this. For some reason in our film class... My mind is blown. I completely remember that. that. Remember yes. that. 100%. And we went back and looked, and like, sure enough, that's Paula Abdul. It was like a. Was it a short film or was it, was it a just short? A, it, was it was a short, short and it was sure it was, it was short. low budge, but it was very clever. And for whatever reason, we had a professor who showed it to us in class, and late and like a year later, we found out Paula Abdul was in it. Very strange. Very odd. Yes. And it was, I think it was before she became a singer, obviously. Yes. Somebody yes. decided she needed to be a singer. She saved her money, made a demo, 
And next thing you know, it's literally at the time, it was the biggest selling debut album of all time at this point, 1989, which is crazy. That is crazy. uh, Straight up, forever your girl, cold hearted, opposites attract, and it's just the way that you love me. We're all hits. Four of them hit number one. This song, uh, the opposites attract video, won best video at the Grammys. I mean, this album was huge, but it was almost immediately, and I don't know why, where people started to question whether she actually could sing, could sing yeah. right? I don't know why, like, it just, we all just kind of had a hunch. And in fact, we sometimes like isolated vocals on this, right? Do you yeah. have the isolated vocals from yep. this? Yes, sir. Come together, cause opposites attract, and you know, it ain't fiction. Oh, we come together, cause opposites <laughs> Attract. Who would have thought? Yeah. I well, I don't know. But it's not. It's not embarrassingly bad. Like I don't know. Yeah, I guess. No. You're, you're suggesting that she rode on her uh, dancing skills. I mean, she was a good dancer, obviously. Yeah, and look, I, I actually am one of these people who I don't think Madonna has the most incredible voice, right? Correct. Yeah. But she knew how to how to write and and help produce a great pop song. Uh, Paula, I guess, didn't have that secondary talent to go along with it. She needed to be produced, you know what I mean? Right. And eventually she just sort of stopped. Yeah. I have a tribute. Look, you have to give her credit. This album was enormous. Right. Uh, yeah, straight, straight up, That when that song came out, that was everywhere. And she was lovable. She was super cute. She could dance. And so, yeah, she was a new thing. I have a trivia it's, question for you. You, you ready? Do it. Yep. I'm uh, ready. What did the following five artists have in common? Uh, Paula Abdul, Rick Rubin, uh, Mike D from the Beastie Boys, and Drake. I said Paula Abdul, right? Yeah. Okay. They're all Jewish. That's right, Mel. Very good. <laughs> But I thought Paul Abdul was only half Jewish. No, no, no she's, she's like all she's 100%. In. Yeah, her her uh, dad was of Syrian descent, which I guess accounts for her um, complexion, whatever. Correct, correct. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful woman. She's, and yeah, look, American Idol rescued a career. You know, she still has to fight the kind of jokey kind of stuff about her, but I think she's done fine. We're all okay with Paula. She did get fooled in the second Borat movie, but... No, oh, that's no right. Oh, yeah, I I had that clip actually that I was gonna possibly put here, but it was too long. But yeah, yeah, it was not a good look on her. She right. should have she should have been onto that. I should say this. Yeah, when I met my wife, mm-hmm. I like I used to think that you could define a person by what their music collection looked like, and I did spy <laughs> my wife's music collection, and she did have this album in there on her CD rack, and I was <laughs> I was there was a little pause. I had a moment of pause. <laughs> my wife. Actually, uh, Anne used to love Paul Abdul. That's why we got divorced. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> hey, Karen. Yeah, it, we're, it's, we're done. It took me a while. 30 years. But yeah, yep. I think that's it. Paula yeah, did it. Yep, that's it. It's the Paula Abdul thing, just like you feared. I just, I just needed to be reminded. Now I know. Now yep. I know. All right, Dave, back in the machine. Still more to go. Number six. Bitchin' fussin' Little aggressive there, Axel. 
Yeah. Unusual. Just, unusual. Unusual. But I love I really, this album. Yeah, I just didn't want to play Patience. Like, that's a top ten hit, and I'm sort of sick of that song, so I didn't want to put that. But yeah. this now, is Guns playing, N' Roses. Playing that song would ask of our listeners considerable patience, because it's so freaking slow. Yes. Well played. Yep. This is the second of Guns N' Roses' top ten albums. It's called GNR Lies. Mm-hmm. By the way, every single one of Guns N' Roses' studio albums went top ten. Hmm. Now, that's partly because they stopped, right? And when they came back, you know, everybody was curious. So that right. album came back, too. Uh, Dave, was this the number one record? I'm going to say no. You are correct. Ah! This is the first album on our countdown that peaked at number two, yep. was not a top ten record. Very good. I would have thought you would have gotten that wrong. Now, <laughs> this is technically the second of Guns N' Roses' studio albums following the absolutely massive Appetite for Destruction. But that's a little bit misleading because the first four songs that were on GNR Lies, Dave, were originally from an EP that they had released on a minor label before Appetite for Destruction came out. Right. That album was called Live, a curse word, you know, like a suicide. So li- they refer to it as live like a suicide but there's there's an expletive in there mm, okay um <laughs> and this song is what that's playing right now called used to love her is one of the four songs that followed those pre-released previously released songs that were all recorded acoustically including the top 10 hit patience right so it was a little bit of a departure from what we were used to hearing on that debut album which was all straight ass hard rock heavy rock and roll right Right. Um, now, about this song, used to love her, the meaning's a little bit unclear. Um, you heard the beginning where it says, I used to love her, so I had to kill her. Yep. Izzy Stradlin says he wrote this after hearing some pathetic love song about a guy getting pushed around by his girlfriend on the radio, and he said, yeah, I'm going to write something different. Yeah, and the... But, go ahead. Finish. Slash claims that this song is about Axl Rose's dog. Oh. Did he have to kill the dog? Oh, like, well, does that mean I used, I had to kill her like I had to put her down, which you, you have guess. you have to do sometimes. I rem, it, it was mentioned in the liner notes of the album. It said something like, it was in classic Axel fashion. It was like, tried to be nice and then kind of didn't. It said something to the effect that the song is a joke, really. And then he, and then like dot, dot, dot. Actually, you know what? It speaks for itself. Well, so, well, which one is it? You know, um. Well, and there were a couple of problematic songs on this record. Now, now, first of all, this was the era where when, and you remember this, Gunners and Roses felt dangerous. You know, yep. there were riots at their concerts. One of them, like, fans got crushed to death at, I don't know if you remember that. No, And I as part of this, yeah, that, not a great moment. Um, as a part of this album, the big controversy was about a song called One in a Million, that contained a whole bunch of racial and homophobic slurs, which is too bad because when you hear the song itself, the song is incredibly cool. The lyrics are problematic. Play that. You could hear what this would sound like plugged in, right? But it's the lyrics, man. Yeah. Are we going to wait for the lyrics? Yeah, he starts okay, singing okay. in a minute, I All think. Right. I have some, uh, I have a hot take on this. You have some thoughts. So okay. warm take. Yes, I needed some time to get away. I needed some peace of 
Didn't start well there. So police and N-word, that's right. Get out of my way. Don't need to buy none of your gold chains today. Right. And later he says, um, immigrants and, forgive me, immigrants and faggots, they make no sense to me. They come to our country and think they'll do as they please, like start some mini Iran or spread some fucking disease. Right. Not great. And apparently when Axel wrote this song, the Several members of the band tried to convince him not to release it, mm-hmm. but he insisted, man, freedom of speech, we're a rock band, we're going to put out, you know, what we're thinking. This is, you know, this is real, man. So they they put it. However, when they did a re-release of this album tied into an Appetite for Destruction album, like uh, anniversary album, they cut this song. Mm. So there is a little bit of distance from it. And Axel himself, at first was trying to claim that he was being sarcastic and playing a character. He later in an interview said, actually, that wasn't true. I had very angry, misguided feelings at the time. Mm. He said he had been uh, mugged at one point and he was unfortunately homophobic and he let it all out there, which was disappointing. Yeah. I think he used the F word um, later in, a, in like the next album when he does this tirade against this song called Get in the Ring. You remember that? When he called out all the people he's pissed at. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, so, all right, my take isn't as hot as it used to be. My, my thought about the song the whole time during the controversy was, um, actually, by, by the way, one of his other sort of ham-handed excuses was, well, Black people call each other N words. They they so what's the big deal? To me, the explanation was as as clear as day. If you wanted out of it, it's like when Roger Daltrey screams, "My name is Tommy." His name's not really Tommy, right? Yeah. He when Suzanne Vega Suzanne right? Vega says, "My name is Luca," the in any in any song or poem, the lead singer is not necessarily the speaker. And he could have just said, it's a song about a racist person. It's a song about someone who's got Correct. a lot of demons. He That's what he should have said. He didn't hit from that begin- hard enough no, he at did, all. He didn't explain it well he's because kind of, he's, he he's wasn't lying. He was a rock star that he thought he could get away with anything. Right. In this case, it backfired on him in yeah. a big way. People yeah. were pissed. Yeah. Then again, it was a number two record. So did it really hurt? Guns N' Roses was definitely peaking around this time. There was more to come afterwards. Use your illusion. Yep. Follow this which was enormous, but um, this definitely took him down a notch and didn't help his mania, I think, at all. But right. anyway. Can I play one more tidbit on this album? I really you love it. I love this album. This this song was, I think, a hit. Your, was, or maybe it wasn't. I don't know. Uh, this is called You're Crazy, and I'm just going to play, like, the first few lines when Axel sings. And there's a reason. It's coming up. All right, good song. It goes on to say you're crazy, right? So, but the I think the original version of the song ended up on 
uh, Appetite for Destruction, and it sounds like this. There it is. So I just thought it was interesting. The slower version's better. They're both. They're, they're, if you're a fan of Guns N' Roses, you kind of loved them both. But th- that was a uh, was pretty cool thing they did to slow it I'm down. I'm going for Appetite. That's the one I like. Oh, really? Sorry. Okay. Yeah, you interesting. Lose. You lose. Oh well. Um. Yeah. yeah. Look, it's going to be a little hard for us to do this transition from uh, dissing his homophobia and um, racism to uh, the sound you're about to add to this podcast. <laughs> Yay, kids, let's celebrate. Right. Uh, All right, so Milt, for the play date this week, uh, we're kind of outside of the box doing albums instead of songs. I'm going outside of the box, and I'm going to quiz you on the top 10 TV shows of the uh, year that we're in right now. What year are we in again? 1989? Yeah. 1980? Really? Yes. Okay. You know that I'm proud of my poem writing abilities, particularly the, the... long form limerick that I love right. uh, doing so much. So, okay. um, yes, I have indeed prepared a series of limericks, one each for the top 10 rated TV shows of 1989. Okay. okay. Gotcha. Right. Okay. So it's not necessarily this week, just of, of Correct. the year. It's, no, it's the whole roughly. year. It's the whole year. Okay. And uh, I need some limericks. Are you going to read it in a robot voice? No. But I want some... Uh, game show or sort of silly music okay um you get to pick should i start with number one or number 10 no you got to go 10 to one we got to follow the all right uh, fine fine pattern of our pod number 10 here's number 10 uh the programming wasn't complex catch run kick tackle and flex we'd always take a peek on that one night a week to hear what cosell would say next this is Monday Night Football. That's right. Very good, Melt. That's the number 10 top show of uh, Night. Are you sure ChatGPT didn't help you with this? I swear to God, I wrote this myself. Fuck you, ChatGPT. <laughs> <laughs> you just told an AI to fuck off. I well know. Done. Yeah. Uh, number nine. This is a hard one. I must be something of a dope. Do I truly recall this show? Nope. Just before 10 o'clock aired this tale of a doc with the guy who played Bert. In soap. I don't have a clue. Not a clue. <laughs> Literally, no clue. Empty Nest. Empty Nest was a top 10 show? Yeah, and it's because it wrote on the coattails of another show that's uh, going to come up later in this. By Number- the way, for the record, we were seniors in college. We were not watching TV around this time. Are you kidding me? We what You and I watched tons of TV. <laughs> did we? Yeah, we did. I thought we went out. I guess we went out after. I'll prove it because you're okay, going you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna to you're gonna get okay. the rest of these right. <laughs> okay, good. Good, uh, good, good. The nostalgia in this show was just super. Childhood tales of angst and stupor. But come on, just a bit. We all must admit our big crush on that cute Winnie Cooper. Winnie Cooper, <laughs> the Wonder Years. That's well right. played. Ooh, <laughs> Thank that's you. a good one. Thank you. Why were we crushing on Winnie Cooper? Well, that she makes was. No sense. <laughs> She was cute, but... Yeah, but we were 20. No, we might have been 19. Um, okay. With interviews that made guests feel puny, this news show was anything but loony. There was lots of talk, a loud ticking clock, and satire 
from an old clown named Rooney. Yeah, I thought you were going to fill in the last one because you probably know what it is. It's 60 minutes. Correct. Dave, Dave, how much time did you spend on this? Are you saying that with pride or with... With pride. Oh, okay. Like, this is like... you. No, these come pretty easy to me. Out. I enjoy doing these. Okay. Okay. All right. We're now up to the number uh, six, I think. You'd have to be quite the contrarian or some kind of ageist barbarian if you didn't see the glow of this lovable show with four feisty octogenarians. That's the golden years. That's right. Wait, no. the golden years was 89? The golden girls. Golden girls. <laughs> Too late. No. <laughs> oh, yes. I had wonder years on my head. And by the way, Empty Nest was a spinoff of the golden girls, so. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah, now we're up to number five. Um, it was just a clip show, but don't balk. This guy, Bob, was funny. He'd mock silly infant matters, people falling off ladders, and that dog who kept pushing a rock. I just got to make sure I got this right. Like the name. It's America's Funniest Home Video. Absolutely right. Well right. done. Okay. Good, good. I just had to make sure. Yes. I knew it was American Home Videos, but it was funniest, right? Yeah, you got it right. America's fun- okay. yeah, good. Funniest Home Videos. Yeah. Um, this is the only one you might not get. Anyway, okay, let's just go. Number four. Do it. Copycat shows. There were multiples. This lame spinoff, they think we're the gullibles. With students that were pimply, this show was simply a cash grab to piggyback on the Huxtables. Oh, oh, right, right. She went to college. Um, a different world. That's a right. A different world. Yes. Very good. Yes. yes. Um, That's with, what's his name? We go into Sizz. Yeah, the, yeah. K- we, Kadeem, Har- Kadeem Hardis- Hardison, was that his name? Exactly. Yeah, he was briefly funny. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Number three. Cocktails and regulars, blah, blah. They cheer for the socks, rah, rah, rah. It featured an ex-jock, a fat dude from the block, and a mailman who became quite a star. You put the title in your limerick there. It's oh, yeah. Cheers. Well, it said cheer, not cheers. But well, close enough. I should have said root. Yeah, that would, you wouldn't have gotten it if I said root for the socks. Woody um, Harrelson, by the way, was weird on Saturday Night Live. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, what part was weird? I mean, he wasn't great. Uh, but... Yeah, it, his, his monologue was not funny. and It was all over the place, his monologue. It was very yeah, strange, yeah, yeah. yeah. You should see his movie, by the way. Um, the one that's nominated for Best Picture, Triangle of Sadness. He's not in it all that much, but that is a fucked up movie. Yeah? Worth worth a watch. Okay, yeah, okay. it's on Amazon Prime now. I will check it out. You will. We're up to the top two. Number two. It must have been an odd pitch to sell. Domestic bliss? No. Family from hell. Years later, a hoot, the show would reboot, but its star then got canceled. Oh, well. Okay. I thought you were going The Simpsons there for uh, me because it's around this era, but right? no, this is Roseanne. That's right. Okay. And uh, number one will be easy. This yeah, show this know. show rose to glorious fame. A black cast. TV is not the same. But oh, what a fall. The show's star, we recall, is now he who shall not be named. <laughs> So it's good times. Like, J.J. Walker's been canceled. <laughs> what? Ironically, J.J. hasn't been canceled. He's still doing, com- I think he's doing commercials for reverse mortgages or something. Oh, just say it. Guy. Just say it. It's the Cosby Show. That's right. You did very well. You only got one wrong. Yeah, not bad. Yep. Okay, you were right. It was easier than I thought it was going to be. You had me a little nervous there for a minute. Well, I mean, you should know the time. Yeah, but so don't you remember? We watched, we watched You're right. all, You're right. all we of those shows of those, for the probably. most part. Yeah. 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 Wait, what's the one we missed again? 
you missed Empty Nest, which I was shocked yeah, I to see. I did not watch that. It came on after Golden Girls. That's the only reason why it was there. I don't remember even watching Golden Girls back then. Frankly. No, we didn't. I I actually never watched that show, but I no, sort of. So there you go. But if you if you caught a little bit of it, it was it was funny. You know, I mean, right? Dissing Betty White. It's terrible. All right, Dave. We're halfway through the countdown. Let's keep this rolling. Okay. Number five. I'm not aware of too many things. I know what I know if you know what I mean. You know, there are songs that like become instant hits that everybody likes, and then within like a month becomes kind of a joke. <laughs> and this is one of those. Just and like, this is, right? Isn't this one of them? Like, well, What I, I Am was huge. And then all of a sudden, people decided they hated it. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, she certainly disappeared, although she ended up with Paul Simon, right? But um, Right, exactly. But uh, she hasn't disappeared. We'll discuss. Oh, okay, you, you tell. All right, this is um, the song What I Am, which was the big hit off of the album Shooting Rubber Bands at the Stars by Edie Brickell and the New Bohemians. Um, this was their first and only top ten album. Dave, did it peak at number one? Hmm. Well, I only got one more no to use. I'm going to say... I'm going to say no, it did not. You are correct. Oh, I'm a genius. So now <laughs> the rest of the albums on this countdown, you will know all peaked at number one. Yeah. You've got in fairness, I do have the list in front of me, so I was able to compare. But but okay, yes. Fair okay. enough. Yeah. Still, doesn't matter. Right. So the new Bohemians were originally a trio from Dallas that Edie Burkell happened to go to school with. And one day they were playing a gig and they brought her on stage for some reason. And a local agent saw her singing with them and said, wait a minute, I can turn this act into something. Booked them into larger venues, gets a recording contract. What I Am becomes a top 10 hit. Wow. So we will cover the song later. And off they go. And yeah, the Bohemian thing kind of gave it a little bit of a different kind of hippie-esque edge. Yeah. And like I said, this song was everywhere. They followed with another song that hit the top 50 that I kind of remember but was not nearly as big a hit. You can play a real quick clip from this. It's called Circle. Okay. If you remember it. I see. I'll see. Uh, no. <laughs> Nothing? Let her sing. Okay. Oh, no. She takes too long to start. I'll, 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 to... I'll go ahead here. No, I got nothing. No, you got nothing. No, nothing. Yeah. yeah. When herein lies the problem, like, again, going back to that Bon Jovi thing, you know, What I Am becomes a huge hit. This album peaked at number four, so it was a major album. They then released their follow-up album. It doesn't do as well, and they broke up. Yeah. Well, maybe they weren't that good. <laughs> I mean, uh, for it some reason. quick, though, right? Yeah. Well, right. Um. But it's weird, like, when you think, when I think of One Hit Wonders, I don't think of this song for some reason. I don't know why. It, it is. But it, it but is, but unless it certainly you think is. that Circle song was another hit. No one's ever. wasn't. No, come on. By the way, uh, you mentioned Paul Simon. She does go on to marry Paul Simon in 1992. They met 
when Edie Brickell and the New Bohemians were playing the song What I Am on Saturday Night Live. Oh. And Edie Brickell says she was playing the song and then was looking towards the cameraman and standing next to the cameraman was Paul Simon. Yeah. Well, he so was. She saw him and he saw her. And she's been quoted as saying, unlike most people, I can actually tell my kids the very moment where the two of us first laid eyes on each other. Wow. Like, Interesting. That's documented. So um, I assume Paul Simon wasn't the musical guest because she was. I assume he was there just because he's friends with Lauren Michaels and he's always yeah. kind of hanging around there. Okay. That seems to be the case. And I don't I just I don't mean to go dark, but wasn't there a domestic violence thing about Paul Simon and uh, Edie Brickell? No, was I there? just completely made it up and slandered them both. No. I'll, I don't I'll, think so. I'll look it up. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I got to be honest. If anybody's kicking anybody's ass, Edie's taking Paul <laughs> down. Right. And my money's right. on Edie on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. By the way, one of the things, and I'm sure this was a connection through Paul, Edie Burkell has had a career post this. She actually sometimes records music now with none other than Steve Martin. In fact, they wrote much of the Broadway musical Bright Star together. They mm. co-wrote most of that musical, and they record albums together. In fact, I'll play this real clip. This is a song she did with Steve Martin called When You Get to Asheville. That's him on the banjo. He's good. Yeah, he's apparently become... A legit banjoist. Is that a word? Yeah. When you legit. Get to Asheville, send me an email. Kind of nice. Tell yeah. me how you do Although, and you kind of hear her voice. Like, when, in it, when right? You, well, that's her voice, right? Well, no, but I'm saying you recognize it all oh, oh. from what I am. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's nice. Although it's. It's funny how it sounds like a song that could have been written in the 40s, and then the lyric is, when you get to Asheville, send me an email. <laughs> yeah, the nostalgia oh. twist kind of gets lost on it. But. Right. So, by the way, just to follow up, uh, um, I'm not crazy. Edie Brickell and Paul Simon were both arrested for a domestic violence um, incident, and, <laughs> Milt, you were right. Was I right? The headline in this article I'm reading says, Edie Brickell slapped Paul Simon first. <laughs> I would because... I swear I could have made money off of that. There's no way. They were both charged at the dispute, and then the charges were uh, dropped. <laughs> Edie Perkel told the judge, he's no threat to me at all. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. I mean, you shouldn't laugh. But... Oh, no. Good. I, look, I'm pretty sure my wife can take me too. So yeah. I'm in the same boat. That's okay. all good. Okay. All right. We don't need to belabor Eddie, Edie Perkel much more. But boy. Two albums and done. Like, geez. I know. Very that memorable album song. Really must have bombed. Very but. memorable song that we did love for a period. Other than that, yeah. That's it. Okay. All right, Dave, back in the machine. All right. Number four. Well, it's all. You and I 
just professed our love for this song on our Happy Songs countdown. Yep. Yeah. But I couldn't resist playing it again here um, just because I Don't love it. Me. And, what a moment. And I love this album. So this is the Traveling Wilburys' first and only top 10 album. The, song, the album was called Volume 1. Mm-hmm. There is a Volume 3, no Volume 2. But Volume 1 was the one that made the biggest mark and, yes, peaked at number 1. Mm. Now, this was a super group, as we probably discussed before, made up of uh, five legends of rock and roll. George Harrison, Bob Dylan, Tom Petty, Jeff Lynn from Electric Light Orchestra, and the legendary voice of Roy Orbison. And there's a great video, by the way. If you go onto YouTube, you can watch like a half an hour documentary about the founding of the band. Oh, I kind of remember that, yeah. And you start to see how much these guys just love each other, which is great. Yep. The idea for the band came from George Harrison. He just had kind of a renaissance. He uh, came out with an album called Cloud Nine that Jeff Lynne produced. Yeah. And he wanted to form a group with other musicians that he's like. And since he was working with Jeff Lynne, it was like, well, let's do this. They apparently each like made a list. They each got to choose a, a musician that they'd like to add if they could. Jeff Lynne chose Roy Orbison out of nowhere. And George Harrison chose Bob Dylan, which... By the way, was big for Dylan because back in 89, Dylan's star had started to fade a little bit. Right. But anyway, Harrison gets asked to record a song for a B-side to a Cloud Nine single that they were going to release in Europe. And he said, all right, maybe this is a chance for us to do this group thing that I thought of. He gets Lynn and Orbison to agree to record with him. He then goes to Tom. This is no joke. He goes to Tom Petty's house to pick up a guitar that he had left there. Mm-hmm started talking to him and was like well wait a minute why don't why don't you be in this band too <laughs> were they gonna they, his guitar there were they just gonna do it with four guys and then and then yep oh i'm could, sorry you the, didn't, the yeah. timing was too short to get a studio booked but one of them i think it was petty knew that bob dylan had a studio in his garage so they go to record at bob dylan's studio and they're like well bob was one of the ones we <laughs> wanted in this band to begin with why don't we bring him in yep. this thing they record the song Handle With Care right. in that garage. They give it to the label, and the label's like, what is this? Yep. We can't release this as a B-side. This is a thing. Yep. And convince them to do a whole album. And yep. Dave, I'm telling you, I, I think I may have mentioned this on, on that pod. If I'm ever in a bad mood, yeah. I put this album on. Yeah. This album, front to back, is like a celebration of, like, Fun rock is the best way that I can put it. Yeah, just unlikely. We'll, we'll probably keep talking about how this was such a, an incredible moment in rock history that that maybe, I'll say it again, that maybe doesn't get talked about enough. That five dudes, we all knew them by name before they joined this band. And it's like um, it's like a fantasy baseball team. It's like I want to totally. pluck these, these five guys that are all amazing. And... You know, the cynical side of, of you as a music fan might say, well, it's never going to work, you know, um, or oh, it or it'll be OK. But or or, you know, these guys have already accomplished so much. Why would they put all kinds of creative energy into this project? Well, they did. It worked. And, and you well, can and, you, you and, can almost hear the fact that there's sort of in that song. It's like that kind, kind of uh, playing with house money. You know, I've already That's got this, it. right? Nothing to lose. Right. 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 Now, they knew that that was going to be the reaction of some people. So they decided to have some fun with that. 
the traveling Wilburys, by the way, Wilbury was a term that Harrison and Lynn used to describe any time they messed up in the studio. They were like, oh, that's a Wilbury we're going to have to fix later. But they then decided. Wait, do you hey, know why it's called that? Because no. they because the, the producer would say to Harrison, um, you know, you made a little mistake there. And Harrison would say, oh, we'll bury it in the mix. We'll bury it in the ah, mix. I didn't know that. Look yeah. at you schooling me. Hey, I learned that today. <laughs> now they all took on so the persona the traveling wilburys this fictional group was uh they took on the personas of half brothers that were all related to this traveling kind of scheming minister named charles truscott wilbury they made I this up the yeah. senior or something yes of yeah. course so george pretended he was nelson wilbury lynn was otis roy <laughs> orbison was lefty hetty was charlie t wilbury and dylan was lucky and okay. so they knew, like, like people are going to say, oh, this supergroup. So they tried to pretend, hey, that's not. We're just this band, right? Okay. They then go, they were, this is the other part. They wrote, rehearsed, and recorded most of the album in the kitchen of Dave Stewart from the Eurythmics. Oh, wow. Could have thrown which, him in there, too. Well, that's what I was going to say. Isn't that <laughs> kind of mean? A little bit, but he's not quite their level. <laughs> I guess not. Yeah. But, and so... What's great about this is they're a group and the songs are group, but they all have individual moments on this album. Just run through these really quick, right? Yep. Um, so they're great songs like End of the Line that they all are singing on together and, and trading vocals, but they all also have their individual moments. Jeff Lynn sings this great song called Rattle. I remember loving this one. That's like a, you want to crank that song up in your car. It's like a rockabilly thing. It's great. Bob Dylan had this resurgence where people said one of the best songs he's written in years was Tweeter and the Monkey Man. Tweeter and the Monkey Man were hard up for cash. They stayed up all night selling cocaine. I remember that one too. Tom yeah. Petty has his moment on a song called Last Night. She was there at the bar. She heard my guitar. She was long and tall. She was the queen of them all. Sounds like a petty song, yeah. Oh, totally, but more fun in a way. Yeah. And yeah, of course, Harrison, who is the ostensible leader of the group, he gets his moment in a song called Heading for the Light. I forgot about this one. I wandered around another moment time on my See what you said? They're all, they're all upbeat in their own way. You know, they're all. They, they, it fits the Wilburys, right? But they're still allowed to be individuals within it, yeah, right? Yeah, but they're, then, they're all kind of joyous. Yeah, go ahead. Roy Orbison, the legendary Roy Orbison, releases possibly one of the best songs of his entire career called "Not Alone Anymore." This is instantly an Orbison song. Yep. 
amazing. Oh, Roy. Yep. Yep. They're all amazing. And look, like I said, I absolutely love this album. It's just so joyous. And when you watch that documentary, you get the sense that they just somehow found each other and it, it ignited their passion for working with other artists again. And it just worked. I seem to remember reading somewhere that the plan was just to do one album and then they would all go back to their their solo careers or whatever, right? Um, and then they at least treated us with a second album, but, you know... No, the funny thing is Orbison... That's not funny, but Orbison died right. soon after this album was released, right? Right. So the band just assumed they weren't going to continue. And then of all people, Bob Dylan rings up the guys and says, hey, wait a minute, aren't we going to do another one of these? Yep. And if Bob Dylan says he wants to do an album with you, you show up. Yeah. So they did. Interesting. Yeah, kind of funny. Yeah. Um, I don't know I don't know if I've played this before, but it, it's really quick. But there's there was a, a bit on Saturday Night Live where uh, Dennis Miller is trying to interview Dana Carvey as Bob Dylan, and they have to call in another Wilbury, which is... They're <laughs> just David Spade playing uh, Tom Petty. I'll just play a little bit of this. Listen, I need some help interpreting this part. Let's get one of the Wilburys out here. Petty, get over here. Tom Petty, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, he's Tim. Tim, Tim. No, no, Sandalin. Tim, Tim, they're talking to each other. Yeah, and they start to put um, captions on on the screen that say like, "Hey, your hair looks good." He said, and Betty's like, "No, it needs a little conditioner or something." I don't know, <laughs> but, it, but they did. I mean, let's face it, Tom Petty and Bob Dylan both did kind of talk like that. But listen, Dave, yeah. this is an important moment in the pod because I want to introduce. Basically, a new segment. We should have come up with theme music for this. I'll maybe I'll drop it in later. But yeah, this but is we we're, are we're excited institute, about this. Go ahead. Yeah, we're going to institute a new question of the week, and we want you, our loyal listeners, our time machiners, to send us what you your answer to this question would be, and that question will always relate to one of the songs in our countdown. So right. here we are talking about the Traveling Wilburys, this super group of five musicians one leader, a bunch of other musicians, maybe one older senior figure. If you were to create a new version of the Traveling Wilburys for today, today. a modern version right. of the Traveling Wilburys, which five musicians would make up the group? Are there any now, other rules? No, I think the rules can be... No other rules, but it should be modern. Well, I, like, you would not right. choose for this, you know, uh, Mick Jagger, Paul McCartney. It, we're not talking about a Mount Rushmore. We're saying right. what five musicians that somewhat emulate what the Traveling Wilburys were trying to do would you put together today? Well, you could put Mick Jagger in there, but he'd have to be complimented by, I think, younger stars. I mean, these well, not so younger. Remember, these guys were in their 30s and 40s, I think, when they recorded this album, right? Orbison might have been in his yeah, that's, mid to late 50s, well, that's, right? Well, that's younger than Mick Jagger is now, a lot younger. Yeah, than yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. So I'm saying, um, yeah, out of the mold, the spirit of the question is out of the mold of the Wilburys. But other than that, you're not even saying style. They could be different style. Whatever you want. Right, okay. Whatever you want. Dave and I will each make our lists. We will read off what we think are the most intriguing answers to the question of the week 
on next week's pod. Send them to top10timemachine at gmail.com, top10, T-E-N, timemachine at gmail.com. Or you could leave your message on a voicemail at our website, Mm. timemachinepod.com, by clicking on the microphone button and leaving us a voicemail. Very interested to see who you come up to be the modern traveling Wilburys. We'll either read the answers on next week's pod or the week after that to give you a little bit more time. We'll see how that goes. Mm. Fair enough? Love it. Okay, cool. A few more to go, Dave. Three more in the countdown. All right. Number three. Oh, yeah. Can't keep Debbie down. Drop the beat. Did she say zapping it to you? <laughs> Wait, did she? I'm not sure. I really I'm not sure. But does she say electric you pretty soon? I mean, yeah, that's she what the does. Is. It's coming. Let's give it to her. Right. Dave, electric coming you up. wasn't. It, it <laughs> wasn't just a song, and it wasn't just an album. It was a movement. Yes, I. you don't have to tell me. This was one of my shame songs. Yes, it was. It was. Electric Youth by Debbie Gibson was the second of two top ten albums of her. And and a, the second of her albums that peaks at number one. So here we go again. Yep. Out of the Blue was the album that came out before this. But this was the higher charting one. This stayed at number one for five weeks. Debbie Gibson was only 19 when yeah. this album came out. She wrote all the songs on the album produced a bunch of the songs, even co-directed the video for Electric Youth. At age 19. At age 19. That's crazy. And get this. There's something called, or was something, maybe there still is, the ASCAP Songwriter of the Year Award. Okay. In 1981, the ASCAP Songwriter of the Year Award was shared by two artists, Mm. Debbie Gibson and Bruce Springsteen. (laughs) Bruce, you're the Songwriter of the Year. Thanks so much. You share it with someone else. Oh, who is it? McCartney? Debbie Gibson. Oh, okay. (laughs) Anyway, look, we don't need to belabor this. We talked Debbie Gibson before. This is bubblegum pop. Grunge is coming, which basically killed this music and kind of hair metal with it. And Debbie Gibson no longer was relevant from a pop perspective. We talked about she had anxiety and all this stuff, but she's still out there. Mm -hmm. This year... She was in The Mask Singer, which I don't oh, she watch. Was. I probably should. I don't but know that you need to. Just a few weeks ago, <laughs> she got voted out. Like, this was just like a recent thing. Right. He has a devoted fan group called the Diamond Debheads. Okay. And she runs a music camp called Debbie Gibson's Electric Youth Camp. So well, that's nice. Give her a little nod, right? She's still younger than us, Milt. Talk about Electric Youth. She's, oh, she was 19? Yeah. yeah she's she 52. Is. Yeah. Yeah. She looks good. By the way, the the opening lyric is indeed zapping it to you. That's a Debbie Gibson lyric. What, what does lyric. that mean? How do you, what are you zapping? I don't know. Who's zapping who? I don't know. <laughs> do, do we, we, we're running long again. I don't think we need to talk more about Debbie Gibson. <laughs> All right. We? Just, I do love her. Okay. But you're right. We've talked about her in past pods. She was sort of what she was. 
Um, I can't say I love Debbie Gibson, but I do respect well, I her love songwriting her. acumen, and I know you love her. We'll get through it. You haven't, Dave, you haven't seen her play, Playboy Spread. Well, that, that we discussed that before. <laughs> I'm not letting that. It's going to shatter my youth. I'm not letting it happen. Mm-hmm. Okay. What I do know you'll love is what is to follow. Mm, you think, huh? I think. Number two. They're back. <laughs> Excellent choice for the song we would play, Milton. Welcome to the Jungle. This is the best song of this album. My yes. opinion. Well, probably mine too. Also, my okay. favorite my favorite song about heroin too. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Long list. <laughs> right. um, Appetite for Destruction we mentioned before. Love the fact this demonstrates how important Guns N' Roses was. They've got two albums in the top ten this week in March 1989. Yeah. This, of course, was their debut album uh, and the first of two of their albums to hit number one. And th- this is not necessarily a story about longevity. Appetite for Destruction was released in July of 1987. Oh, wow. And here it is at the top of the top 10 in early 1989. It's not necessarily because it was a long-lasting hit. Believe it or not, when this album first came out, it did nothing. Yeah, I remember. Whole year. Yeah, you and I didn't buy it until uh, I remember we were <laughs> we were, we had moved off campus and so that was like definitely 88 and maybe even 89. Yeah, and I think we talked about it. They they released Welcome to the Jungle as a single. It doesn't really get noticed that much, except in the hard rock and heavy metal underground. But then MTV picks up the video for Sweet Child of Mine, puts it in heavy rotation during the summer of 88, and Guns N' Roses becomes big. They then re-release Welcome to the Jungle. Both of them end up as top 10 songs, as well as Paradise City. Uh, Mr. Brownstone was not a top 10 hit, but that's why I wanted to play it here because it's such a great song. Yeah. They were touring. You may remember this. They were touring with Aerosmith as Aerosmith's opening act. Yeah. And by the end of that tour, I mean, I hate to say it, Guns N' Roses was a bigger band than Aerosmith by the end of that tour. Yeah. At not that, in career, but in terms of time. Yes, sure. Right now. And this was a period where they were so prolific that during the sessions where they were writing songs for Appetite, they also wrote November Rain and Don't Cry, which were huge hits on two albums from now, on mm. Use Your Illusion, but they just held them because they were like, we got too much to use here. Let's put those on that record. Right. So they were pumping it out at this point. Yep. And look, I don't, I don't, we're, we're prone to hyperbole here, but Appetite for Destruction was an extremely important album in yeah. rock history. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's, uh, Deserves a seat at the Nirvana table with um, Nevermind, but it might. It, uh, it, I think it definitely does. You I know, think they were both the pinnacles of their genre. versions of rock and roll. Yeah, I mean, this is hard. You know, hair metal, if you want to even call it that, but this is hair metal's hard rock pinnacle. Yeah, and you know, Nevermind was grunge's you know shining light. So I think yeah. you're right to put them together. Yeah, totally um, right. Guns N' Roses covered an Aerosmith song. Do you know what it was? Mama Ken. Damn it! Can't get anything. That, wasn't that on GNR Lies? I think it was. Uh, maybe. I think it was. It was on some album. All right. 
Anyway, I love this album. Like I said, yep. huge hits. They felt dangerous. Even though when you hear Axel's voice kind of isolated, it's a little silly, right? Yeah. But for some reason, it worked. The in screeching. That context. Yeah, the screeching yeah. got a little tired. Well, it, I mean, there's a, there's a, always been a lane for the screechers. I mean, you know, uh, Brian Johnson was a screecher, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And you know Guns N' Roses had ACDC influences. For sure. No yeah. doubt about it. Definitely. Yeah. Especially the licks of Slash. Right. Speaking of Slash, did you ever see the South Park episode where the boys are trying to find Slash? No, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen it. That, so there's a whole episode where the whole plot line is they're looking for Slash when, unfortunately, they discover the truth about the guitarist from Guns N' Roses. Oh, Play the clip. Right. Develop. Why does my salary matter? You guys, you guys, we've got some bad news. Slash isn't real. <laughs> what? Slash isn't real. He's a made-up person that represents care and giving, and people dress up like him and lie to their kids. Slash is make-believe? Here, look for yourself. He's based on a fable of a Dutch saint named Wunterslaus. <laughs> Wunterslaus? What? But then, who played at my eighth birthday party? <laughs> One of our parents. But then, who was the guitar player for Guns N' Roses? One of our parents. <laughs> Are you fucking serious? That's it. That's pretty good. I love it. Yeah, try to watch the whole clip if you can. Although it's funny, Slash is one of the best costumes. The the uh, costume slash karaoke party that my wife and I used to throw that you attended a couple times, Mill. There was always a oh, couple. It's so easy. You just take a mop of hair and you kind of throw it over your face, right? Well, the, and, the, and the top hat. And the hat, and right, the of course. Yeah. yeah, and sunglasses, I... and you're good, yeah. Yeah, he's Jewish too, isn't he? No, is he? I think he is. Am I crazy? <laughs> Am I pulling that out of nowhere? Well, I could have. Sw- yeah, I mean, wait a minute. Ugh, I'm going to tell you right now. He's a fine young man. Yeah, he's a fine young man. Uh, his his name is Saul Hudson. That's right. And he um is not Jewish. <laughs> you just thought because his name is Saul. Well, wait. His his. Wait a minute. He Hold was, on a second. Now he was named after Romanian American cartoonist Saul Steinberg. That's a clue, but um, his mother was black. Yes, I didn't. That, know that. I knew. Oh, okay. But I thought his father was Jewish. I must have been making that up. All I'm right, very disappointed well. now. This, this pot is ruined. <laughs> that was home. that wasn't slash that played at your bar mitzvah, Milt. <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely not. No. Okay. Look, we've covered Guns N' Roses plenty today, but Dave, they did not. They were a number one album, but they're not number one this week. Let's find out what topped the album's charts this week in 1989. Let's go. Number one. <laughs> New Jack Swing. We can say Bobby Brown had longevity. Uh, there may be a little bit of a Paul Abdul thing happening here, too. Uh, yeah, I guess. No, I, I mean, the, 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 no, Bobby Brown had a career, right? I mean, 
Yeah, yes and no. He had more after this, more than Paula did. But yep. the album and the song Don't Be Cruel were huge, both huge. This album was the first of two top 10 albums for Bobby Brown, peaked at number one, and was the number one album of 1989. And you could make the argument, like I said, that this is what pushed this genre called New Jack Swing to its all-time height. Despite the fact that, like Debbie Gibson, you may not realize that Bobby Brown was 19 years old when this album wow. came out. And he became the fourth teenager ever to have a number one record um, after Ricky Nelson, Stevie Wonder, and Tiffany. Mm. After that, Debbie Gibson, when her album hit number one a few weeks from now, she becomes the fifth. Mm. So teenagers everywhere here. Uh, it spent six weeks at number one, five top ten hits. This song, Don't Be Cruel, My Prerogative, Roni, Every Little Step, and Rock With Ya. Even the non-album track, On Our Own, from Ghostbusters 2, which we covered, which right. is kind of a cool song, hit the top ten this year in 1989. He was everywhere. Look, he was the original. We know the story we talked about. He was an original member of New Edition. He decided to leave the group because he wasn't getting paid enough. But what I didn't remember is he had an album before this. Don't Be Cruel was actually his second record. He released something called The King of Stage back in 1986, and it didn't do anything. Mm. But somebody hooked him up. This is what producers mean. He got hooked up with both L.A. Reid and Babyface and then Teddy Riley, right as both of those guys, both of those producer tandems were becoming prominent. And this was an enormous hit. Right. He then um, marries Whitney Houston, as we know, in 1992, which didn't didn't go well for anybody. Um, not, I mean, right. They and for a while, it was like a monthly occurrence to hear like one of them was in rehab, one of them was uh, they beating kinda, the other one. Yeah, they kind of descended into misery together. By the way, he just turned 54 last month, so he's still younger than us too. That bastard. Jesus. Yeah. And uh, just to confirm, yeah, uh, Slash is not a Jew, according to JewOrNotJew.com. <laughs> the, the, the write-up says, welcome to the jungle, Bubbala. It seems too weird to be true, um, and uh, it is too weird to be true. It, it's possible that there's some weird confusion with Gene Simmons, who is Jewish. Well, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Slash could have been in Kiss. Yeah. That would be good if he substituted. He could be a substitution. By the way, I just saw Kiss live. Was it maybe on Howard Stern or something? But I, I don't know. But still in full makeup. Full makeup. They're in their are they in their seventies. Works, man. <laughs> now the now the makeup serves a different purpose. It, it, you can't tell how old they are. It's, you know what? I wear blue jeans every day. Yeah, and I've worn too. them every day basically for the last forty years. Yep. So they're wearing makeup every day. Is it really all that different? <laughs> wow. That that logic That's has profound, me right? in a pretzel. You ever you, you noticed that our kids don't wear jeans? If you just, no, just at all, it's amazing. Ever. My daughter does sometimes. My son never wears. I, blue I don't jeans. think ever, ever, ever. I don't think either one of my kids owns a pair of jeans. What happened? <laughs> I don't know. Do well, I have to cool, start man. wearing those sweat uh, sweat panty things? <laughs> they God, they wear pajamas. Yeah, I that's mean, yeah. They basically walk around in pajamas. Yeah, I would have loved that. You kids today. It would not have helped my social life. No. All right, Dave, we've reached the end of the countdown. We're not talking too much about Bobby Brown. I did love him at the time, I have to say. Yeah, we both loved him. 
Yeah. yeah. Okay. Why don't you recap the top 10 albums for our listening audience? Sure. For the week ending March 4th, 1989, the top 10 albums were number 10, New Jersey, Bon Jovi. Number nine, Giving You the Best That I Got, Anita Baker. Number eight, Hysteria, Def Leppard. Number seven, Forever Your Girl, Paula Abdul. Number six, GNR Lies, Guns N' Roses. Number five, Shooting Rubber Bands at the Stars, Edie Brickell and the New Bohemians. Number four, Volume One, Traveling Wilburys. Number three, Electric Youth, Debbie Gibson. Number two, Appetite for Destruction, Guns N' Roses. And the number one album for the week ending March 4th, 1989 was Don't Be Cruel, Bobby Brown. This might be your second straight flawless rendition. Well, the, as I've said before, the albums are easier because for some reason they're just more familiar. You don't get that weird band that I've never heard of in there. You know what I mean? And no parentheses. And yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. albums for you from No parentheses, one. right. Dave, category time. What do we start with? Winner of the week. All right. Well, that was loud. Well done. Uh, all right, Dave. When we look back on these top 10 albums, which of them, in your mind, holds up the best? and therefore wins the week. Why don't you go first? This is really hard. This is really hard. Really hard. I've, I, I, I know. I've I know. got it narrowed down to three, and I can't, I don't know what I'm going to do, but uh, I need to, uh, for the duty of the past 10. Take a stand, uh, Dave. I will go with Appetite for Destruction, Guns N' Roses. Mm. Yes, and uh, you probably and know. Why is that? Why is that? Because it, it it probably meant it's just the the album that I was most into and obsessed with on this list and sort of meant the most to me personally it, it, and and it does have slightly more sort of rock influence importance than hysteria which I, I regret leaving off and then uh, the Wilburys which I also regret leaving off and and geez I mean you got New Jersey by Bon Jovi that's no slouch either but. Anyway. You know, I, I'm not supposed to be playing favorites here. Like, it, it clear, I, I think Appetite for Destruction actually does hold up better yeah. in a weird way than any album on this. But, I, I, again, I go back to Volume 1 by Traveling Wilburys yep. so much. And because it's sort of a rockabilly classic kind of tone to it, it does hold for some reason. It feels classic. Excellent so choice. I, I'm going to stick with that, too. Although, again, Appetite... I would definitely choose Appetite over Hysteria in terms of holding up. Yeah. Um, but man, you're right. That's a tough decision. In a different in a different week, I would have taken any of those three. I, I think Hysteria that was one of my favorite um, metal albums of all time. And so, anyway, really totally. Good. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. All right, bring in the ref. The sound of the whistle, Dave. You know what it means. I do. It means it's time for the substitution. Mm -hmm. Uh, in this case, rather than uh, find a song that was in the Hot 100 but never makes the top 10, we are going to find the Billboard Top 200 albums, mm. but also kick out one of these albums that we think does not deserve it and therefore replace it with an album that is on that Hot uh, Billboard 200. Boy, it's a mouthy explanation today. I got it. Um, but never makes the top 10. And there are because it's 200 long, there was a long, long list. I even edit a bunch of them out because I tried to make them a little bit more focused for you, Dave, because I know Thank you. you have a very short attention span. Yes. But I will start. Wait, what and... are we talking about? Sorry. Guys. Yeah, we're talking about the substitution. Oh, okay. I am going to kick out um, Edie Brickell. I mean, there's some options here to boot. Yeah, agreed. But I think she would kick herself out. I mean, there were two <laughs> albums and done. Like, I think she's, I don't know if she'd even bounce any of these on her own. So, 
Edie, uh, love you. Keep playing with Steve. We like that stuff. But um, the new Bohemians will be departing the top 10. Keep, and boy, man. Keep intimidating your husband. <laughs> Sorry. I'm about to replace it with literally, if you could pick a 180 from Edie Perkel. This is public enemies moment. Ladies and gentlemen, it takes a nation of millions to hold us back. It's a new thing. Check out this. I bring all the rope below the level because I'm living low next to the base. Come on. Turn up the radio. They're claiming I'm a criminal. But now I wonder how. Some people never know. The enemy could be the Frank Guardian. I'm now a hooligan. I rock the party and clear all the madness. I'm not a racist. Preach to teach the all. Because they never had this. I mean, I, I don't one. think it's a tremendous leap to call this album one of, if not the most important, critical moment in rap history. Rap music starts to become popular about now. You know, you're getting your Busta Moves, you're getting your, you know, Funky Cold Medinas coming, right? Right, Run DMC. Man, when this came out, it felt hard and real and innovative and interesting and smart. And I remember hearing about this album just from reading about it in Rolling Stone at first. I hadn't heard the songs. And when the Rolling Stone critics started foaming on it, it's like, well, I'll go check it out. And, you know, my brain exploded. Yeah. And it belongs in the top ten. Can't believe. Look, maybe it's not top ten music, but it should be. Well, they were militants with a purpose, but they were also just cre- innovative musically. That that The screech that repeats itself in the song is is just a great creative turn. And they also had a sense of humor, Flavor Flav, of course, prancing around the stage. And in this song, they they ask uh, Harry Allen, who was uh, a rock journalist, who was like the champion of Public Enemy. They say, Harry Allen, you know it, Milt. They say, Harry Allen, are we that tight? And you hear his voice. And he says, don't, don't believe, believe the, hype. the hype. He's, he's in the song, which is, was really, um, really brilliant. What I, what I think Public Enemy did better than anyone was embrace dissonance. I mean, they're... Their yeah. message is all about the fact that there's conflict, right? There's conflict with the races. There's conflict with urban and suburban audiences and stuff. And they use sampling to create a musical dissonance to go along with the right. lyrical dissonance. So, Good point. I don't mean to get overly critical here, but this album, just front to back, is incredible. So, yep. yeah, I think I'll take Public Enemy over Edie. <laughs> I love it. It's close, no, but it's I'm not. making it happen. So, Dave, who are you kicking out? Um, I think I left some choices for you this week. Yeah, you did, and I have nothing against uh, any Anita Hill or uh, Anita Baker, <laughs> but um, just uh, not my jam. So I'll uh, I'll play her out. Well, especially because have you even heard more than one song on that album? Probably not. No. So okay. it, I'm not even being fair. To be fair, I'm not being fair. However, yeah, okay. I were this is a, a personal choice that I know. Milt will enjoy because, uh, let me get this right. <clears throat> in uh, 1989, Milt and I were living in a ramshackle fourth-story apartment on 41st Street in West Philly when we fell in love with a local rocker named Tommy Conwell. Backed by the old-school rock sound of the Rumblers, Tommy would play the dingy Chestnut Street Cabaret with Milt and I cheering him on from the mosh pit. His semi-eponymous album Rumble lifted him from obscurity and landed him on national TV where he played this song. Between working out of school and my mom was on the run. Come on, little baby, let's have a little fun workout. Do you like it like this workout? 
I think I mispronounced that word. Is it eponymous or ep- is it eponymous? It's eponymous. Oh, maybe yeah. I said it right. Okay. Anyway, Tommy Conwell and the Young Rumblers. The album was called Rumble, and I don't know. Listeners of this pod may maybe have already heard us wax poetic about Tommy, but I, I think most rock fans have a band, a favorite band that no one else has ever heard of. Like my brother Matt will always say, "Well, this is like." that's like your version of Dave's Tommy Conwell because he, because he knows <laughs> that I love him. And um, let's face it, he never made it. He was on the brink of, of glory when he was on the American Music Awards. He performed We this. were sure he was going <laughs> to yeah, make it. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm not sure if he doomed himself because he has this bit he used to do in the clubs where he would get a wireless guitar and work his way through the crowd, and we loved it. When he did it on the American Music Awards, I think the people weren't sure how to react, you know. So, uh, yeah. Such a bummer. Anyway, so uh, no shock to me that uh, Rumble didn't make the the top 10 or anywhere no, near it. No, it peaked but... at, I think, 103, so it All didn't right. quite make it. But, hey, look, he had his <laughs> moment, and I think they still tour. we got to figure this out. we got to find a way to see them. Oh, yeah, no, they're, they're playing uh... – I get the alerts. They always play in Ardmore, Pennsylvania, wherever that is. So well, we're we, going we might to have Ardmore, to go there. Damn okay. it. It's got to happen. <laughs> okay. All right, Dave. Um, but, you know, again, reminder before we go into the final list, we yeah. want to hear your answers to the uh, the oh, question yeah. of the week. Who would make up your perfect uh, new version of the Traveling Wilburys, the five members of your band? But before we go through that again, Let's decide whether this was a time machine worthy week, Dave. We're going to look at these 10 songs, maybe even consider the substitutions, but no, we're going to talk about the 10 songs on the list. Will this week be defined as an A for Aerosmith? Whoa, new. (laughs) They're all new. Don't you ever talk to me like that again. I'm Barry Gabb. (laughs) A C for Christopher Cross. Think of Laura, but what the hell is that? You know that song, don't you? I don't think so. Think of Laura, uh, oh, General Hospital. Think of Laura, yeah, it's an isolated vocal. That's yeah, terrible. Where are you going, D for damn Yankees? No, Or an F. Is it Frank Stallone? Yes. The same old hoodoo follows me about the- that's Frank Stallone. <laughs> That's Frank Stallone. <laughs> the same old hoodoo follows me about. He was trying to do a Rat Pack thing. Anyway, yeah, it didn't work either, did right. it? All right. So, Dave, mix it up. Um, what do you think? Do you want to Maddie method this thing? I guess. Yeah, why not? All New right. Jersey by Bon Jovi. I'm going hit. Hit. Giving you the best that I got. Yeah, see, that's what's yeah, tough. I'm gonna miss. It's a, yeah, it's a miss. We're going to do this. It's, it's an eight out of ten. Well, is it so hysteria is a hit. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Forever your girl. I'm going hit. You might not. The songs are good. The songs are good. Yeah. Okay. I, you're right. I will miss though. Um, Debbie. I'm going to miss the Debbie Gibson oh. album too, though. Yeah. All right. So I know I'm, you're hitting that, but I'm missing I'm, that. I'm eight and you're seven, but yeah, yeah. But you can't give this a Carpenters. Can you? A Christopher no, Cross, sorry, Christopher no, Cross. No, it's a, I'm going to upgrade it to a, I'm going to upgrade it to a, a B. Um, maybe even a B plus because I really do like a bunch of the albums on this. But no, I think I'm just going to give it the flat B. It's a, it's a, it's a Bee Gees for me. I'm going Bee Gees plus just because I'm still just reeling it as to how huge those three albums were. And then 
I have yeah. a I have a fondness for uh, GNR Lies. It was one of my favorite albums of uh, you know that era. And you got Bon Jovi the, in there. The, and the Paul Abdul and Bobby yeah. Brown records were right. enormous, right? I yeah. mean, enormous dance right. music. Right. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think you're probably more right with the BGS Plus. But okay. I'm sticking with it. Stick with it. Stick enough. with it. Yep. Whew. All okay. Right. Again, you... reminder, yep. email us at top10timemachine at gmail.com. Dave, where can they visit our website? That would be at timemachinepod.com. Go there. Leave us a message if you want. As Milt has said many times, there's a little microphone icon. It's very cute. Bottom right-hand corner of the page. Click on that and then just speak to us, machiners. We love Tell to hear us how you. you like the episode, but seriously, we want to know. Who would be your traveling Wilburys here in 2023? Yeah. I want to know. The new Wilburys. Dave, I like these album ones. I love it. It's fun, Milt. It's always fun. It's always fun. Dave, this will not be volume one. We will not be stopping at volume one on this pod. We'll I hope keep not. going, okay? Those would be lies, and it would drive me into hysteria, Milt. Oh, well played. I'm always giving you the best that I got. All right, I got to stop. <laughs> I'm going to New Jersey. No, I'm not. <laughs> no, you're not. Don't believe the hype, Milt. See you next time, everybody. Caught in the middle end, not surrendering. I don't run for the sake of riddling. So claiming that I'm a smuggler. Some say I never heard of you. What the hell is that? False media. We don't need it, do we?